friend, today we are talking about how to make really, really big, hard, life-changing decisions. And while I'm going to walk you through the seven steps I've taken over the last couple of years, I walked all of this out in my Elegant Excellence Journal. It's where I started this vision casting, processed along the way, and am still daily self-coaching and supporting myself. I created this system for myself and then published it to pass it on to you, and it remains one of the tools I use daily. So please get it and begin using yours today at ElegantExcellenceJournal.com, which is also linked in the episode description. If you are ready to get unstuck, stop overthinking without it leading to action, and yearning for more peace, confidence, clarity, and joy in your choices, priorities, schedule, and life, get one headed your way in the mail today at ElegantExcellenceJournal.com. And now, on with the show. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. I am taking such deep breaths as I start this episode. Even though I already posted on Instagram, it feels so hard and surreal to actually say it out loud, even though I've been saying it for years to friends and we finally told our family this summer, we are moving. (laughs) I'm leaving New York City for now, the only place I've ever called home since I left home, where I've spent half my life at this point. And it may not make sense to you why I am so emotional about that. Maybe you moved a lot in your life or you don't particularly love where you live or you've never felt deeply connected to a place. But what I want to talk about today is making really big, agonizing, life-changing decisions, the ones you grapple with for years. Do you want to have kids or not? Should you leave your marriage or your relationship? What would make you happy to do in work? Should you start a business? Should you close your business? Should you move to Europe? Should you move back home? Should you move to the place you've always wanted to live? I don't know what it is for you, but the things where it has been years of you not knowing and of wondering When you will finally know, when will this debate stop in your head? When will you feel peace in your heart? And it feels so huge in your life to not know and to feel a little bit in limbo inside of yourself. And for the last few years, I've known it was time to make two of those big decisions in my life, which is whether or not we wanted to have kids and if we should move and if so, where. And in the end, one informed the other. So I want to walk through with you how we made the decision whether or not to have kids in a way that's applicable to many life decisions. Maybe that topic is not the one weighing on your head and heart, but I'll break down the steps that I went through that can apply to so many topics. And I also know there are so many in our community who are on the fence about kids. And if not you, then maybe your best friend, your sister, your daughter. But I heard from so many of you in DMs when I did my first motherhood episodes, yay, nay, on the fence in May 2021. I'll link those in the description. I think for now, this might be the final one in the series. But if you have a friend trying to decide whether to have kids or do egg freezing or going through IVF or surrogacy or pregnant or their sister or best friend or daughter is, you can share this for people who are looking for someone else on the journey and specifically for wisdom on the journey, because my heart is never just to share my story, but to share the teaching and the action for your story that I see out of it. But for me, whether or not to have kids was this huge decision that hung over me for so many years. And I'm curious, what decision is it that you keep wishing you had an answer on and wondering when you will know. And for years, it was so stressful to me when I was dating, which I felt like I was for forever, that I didn't have an answer. I felt like I should know because it was important ultimately to end up with someone who felt the same. And I shared in an earlier episode, and this is sort of my first step of the decision-making process, is number one, notice how you react when people who could 
push you one way or the other, speak up. So I recall going on dates where someone said they wanted five kids and they couldn't wait to be a dad. And I was like, I'm out. Five kids. And now I am a no to both. I'm very clear. Neither one of those is where I was at. But I never went on a date with someone who said they 100% did not want kids. So I didn't ever get to see what my reaction to that really was going to be. And we've all had those conversations where someone starts talking about something they think or feel you should or shouldn't do. And I think you can feel the difference if you tune in to whether you're feeling fear when they say this because you're being encouraged to do something that you feel like you should, but you're scared. Your gut is like, I think they're right, but I don't want to admit it. My gut says yes, but my conscious mind says, pretend the gut is not speaking. We don't want to acknowledge it because this seems so scary to think that we should leave our relationship. This seems so terrifying to think that we should change careers. Or when they're closing a door that you want open. And what happens in your gut is you want to defend that. You want to push back on that. No, no, I'm I'm not too old to have kids. No, no, I shouldn't necessarily leave just because they were unfaithful. Like, which is it that you were feeling? Now, it doesn't tell you everything because you also have stories along with those. Like, maybe this is what you fought for in some way. So you have a sunk cost bias. You've already been arguing this position in your head for years. Or your ego is attached to this identity. But... How do you feel when people bring up closing a door on something, telling you to quit your job, close your business, leave your marriage, not have kids? And what about when they encourage you to open the door, start the business, go on the date, have the baby? How do those two things feel differently? Now, of course, every closing door opens another and vice versa. And I don't mean in the like, when God opens a, closes a door, he opens a window. But if you quit your job, that's a closed door, you will seek another and have another open door. If you have a kid and you open the door to that, you walk away from having a child-free life and close the door. So both are present in whatever is being said, but just notice where your head goes to, how you feel when people tell you one way or another. If you see it as pushing you through an open door or telling you it's a closed door and what your gut is wanting to defend and why. So fast forwarding just in the last few years, I did not react well when people told me to quote, just go for it with a baby. Like it made me not want to be friends with that person. (laughs) And it wasn't as much a no to having a baby as it was being told what to do. And that's what I realized I was bristling about. I'm not bristling about, I think my soul is saying no to a baby. I think my soul is saying no to you being a bossy pants. (laughs) And then when another friend said, she thought I was just, she said, it sounds like you're having a baby just because you feel like you should. And I felt an instant no. No, that is not it. Like, I felt more confident in my decision. No, actually. I have thought through this. I am well aware that is not why I'm making it. And this was even when we weren't 100% sure that we definitely wanted to say yes to kids, but I felt myself defending my choice to have a child. Whereas my decision to wait, I was like, this person just doesn't get it. They're just like kind of a know-it-all. I didn't feel this reaction in my soul as much to whether or not I was going to do it. So to that first friend, I just felt like I disagree with your wisdom rather than the defensiveness of, wow, I do not want someone telling me that I shouldn't have kids or I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Like my soul just knew the latter wasn't true. I was doing it for the right reasons. I wasn't doing it for the should. So your gut can tell you a lot. And then second, I would recommend, can you give yourself the Rachel test or has life ever given it to you? So this is, I referenced this in that early motherhood episode. This is from an episode of Friends in which Rachel thinks she might be pregnant with Ross's baby and she's in the bathroom with Phoebe and she takes the test and she's like, I'm too nervous. I can't look. And so Phoebe looks at it and she says it's negative. And Rachel's like, oh, and she realizes like, I'm sort of disappointed. I I sort of was excited. 
I actually wanted it to be positive. And then Phoebe's like, just kidding. It's positive. She's like, wait, what? And she's like, well, now you know how you really feel. She's like, yeah, but that was a huge risk. Like, what if I had been relieved? And she's like, but, uh, but you would have actually known. Like, if it, if she had felt relieved that it was negative, then maybe it would have told her not to keep the baby, you know? And I alluded to this in that early motherhood episode in 2021 because I felt this after the first IVF quote didn't work in our mind. Like we only got the one embryo. And then the second one, we had zero embryos. And the third one, we had zero embryos. And I was aware that I didn't feel any sense of relief after having been on the fence all those years. Wouldn't you think that if I didn't really want to do it, I might have felt let off the hook by God. I might have felt relief that the decision was being made for me. I don't have to make this decision. Maybe I would have felt freedom that the door was closed. I didn't have to feel guilty about the fact that I didn't want kids. I didn't have to invest all the time and energy. It just wasn't meant for me. And maybe that is why I haven't known all these years. It just wasn't meant for me. That's why I felt different than other women that I often felt like everybody else but me couldn't wait to be a mom. And yet I didn't have that reaction. I didn't want the door to be closed. I didn't feel a sense of relief. I felt an, an inner compelling to keep going, to not want to stop. However, the closer we got to actually deciding whether or not we wanted kids, because we didn't actually decide until April 2022, a year after I filmed that episode. And in that episode, I said, I, I kind of had this Rachel moment. And I didn't say what it was because I hadn't shared that we had done IVF. But I said, I had this Rachel moment that makes me think I want it. But then when we were really making the decision, I realized not wanting a door to be closed for you is not the same thing as wanting to walk through the door. Let me say that again. Not wanting a door to be closed for you does not necessarily mean you want to walk through that door. Because what I didn't want in 2018, 2019, when we were engaged and newly, newly married, was for it to be off the table. It did tell me that I didn't instinctually want it to be a no. But what it really told me was I just didn't want it to be a no now. And I wanted it to be my choice. And as we got closer to deciding, I said to Jeremy, just because we have the embryos and we worked hard to get them and we put so much money and effort into getting them, that doesn't necessarily mean we're meant to use them. It means we weren't meant to decide that. It means we fought to have the option, but now we still get to decide. And I think that is so important to realize how often it can seem like something is already decided by default. You already got this far into law school. You already sunk five years into this relationship or business. You already put so much into try money into trying to flip this house. But if you take everything off the table that you invested in the past, all that sunk cost bias, if you wipe the slate clean of any extra time, energy, money you poured in, what do you really want today? Because the Rachel test really is, if you don't think about your complicated relationship with Ross or how you're going to afford this, do you want to be a mom? Do you want this baby? That was the gut reaction Phoebe was trying to help her get to. When Phoebe saw that it was positive, she was like, I want to help her know that she really wanted to be a mom, not for all of the other logical, complicated reasons that were saying, maybe this is going to be hard. Not all of the other arguments in the pro-cons list, but just did her heart and gut say, I want this. But number three, you also have all of those objections and arguments for a reason. Money is a factor. Time is a factor. So ask yourself what your fears around this are. 
honor them. Don't dismiss them as irrelevant. Honor them. Look at them. Shine a light on them to see why part of you is resisting or fearful. And then see if you can find examples of people who are proof this fear doesn't have to be the reality. You can't absolutely know for sure that this hard part will be true or true for you. So my greatest fear in motherhood is that I'm going to be exhausted. And that is a very common reality and trope. And those are different things. It is reality, especially in America. And I educated myself on that. I read the data about how there is a direct correlation between the amount people in a country have to spend on childcare, the percentage of their income, directly correlates to that country's happiness as parents. The more financially stressed you are, the less happy you are as a parent by country globally. And we do a horrible job of supporting families in America compared to so many other developed nations when it comes to the cost of healthcare, childcare, quality education, physical safety, etc. So personally, I knew if we say yes to this, that has to be a focus for Jeremy and I. We have to either increase our income or lower our cost of living or move abroad to countries that are more supportive. We have to stay aware of this area if we become a parent, how impactful our finances are on our happiness, and make sure that we are making choices that keep us happy as parents and that that really heavily weighs as a priority in the long term. Now, that's a really hard pill to swallow because we also drained our savings to become parents with IVF and then surrogacy. So I'm not saying this from a place of affluence. I wasn't able to save up all of this money to make having a child just like hair flip, not financially stressful. But it is something I'm very aware of in our choices as we look at the coming next decades. It's being honest about it, knowing the facts. But then also there's the tropes. And what I mean here is I believe there is a particularly American or at least Western, but largely American mindset of how much pressure we put on parents and especially on mothers. And it is escalated by how much information we get on social media. And when we have high rates of burnout across all women, you know, it's, it's all the same thing. It's all this heightened pressure. It's all these heightened options and ideas and opportunities and expectations and constantly raising the bar. Now, some elements when we talk about burnout are outside societal factors and some are our choices and our mindset. There are some areas of that we can't control. Look at, again, the parental happiness to the percent we pay on childcare. That's not just you. That is a, a cultural reality in our country. And then there also is the mindset and what we are taking in. And so I both subconsciously and consciously chose over the years only to follow women online who approach or represent motherhood in a way that feels desirable to me. And I say online because I don't have many friends in real life that have kids. And if they do, then they're sharing it online. I, I really only have a, a couple of people in my life. So most of my examples of motherhood I'm seeing online, even if they are my close girlfriends who happen to share their lives online. And if I get served some video about, you know, a mom drinking wine midday and joking about how she hasn't slept in years, I mute it. And I say, show me less content like this. And I am not saying that mom isn't tired. I'm not saying that she, I'm not judging what she's doing, but I'm just saying I want to follow moms who talk much more about their delight in parenting, what they're learning, how they're growing, how this is a, a beautiful life experience that they are having. I also don't follow people who primarily share links to more and more baby products than you need to buy. I mean, I don't really do that with, with people who share a ton about any products, but rather people who share their teaching on the mindset that helps you become a better parent. Same thing with any other area that I'm following someone on Instagram. And I've already had to shut it down a little bit in 
my own community just on Instagram stories with just lightly sharing already the the fear mongering. I shared that I was having trouble sleeping recently and I said it's not related to anxiety. I know that timing-wise, we just did our embryo transfer and then we found out that we were pregnant and now we're in this pregnancy. So it would be common when you hear me say this to think, well, of course you're anxious in this season. But I have felt sleep-related anxiety, and that that's not this. I've woken up thinking about my work, my book drama, struggling to fall asleep, waking up in the middle of the night, and right now, I'm waking up thinking of nothing in particular. So I know that it is not that my thoughts and anxiety are waking me. Let me just clear this up. And despite that, one in 10 women who replied said, you're wrong, you're a mom now, That means you will always be anxious. You will never sleep through the night. Welcome to the rest of your life. And I was like, no, I reject that narrative that you have to be anxious nonstop when you become a mom. We're going to talk about this more next week because the weird mind fork, y'all, is that for the first time in my life as an anxious person, I have more peace around this mom thing than anything else in my life. It's Anyways, we're going to talk about that next week because it is rocking my world. I shared a a pregnancy scare that we had over on Instagram stories. It's pinned over there if you missed it. Um, And I just can't believe how much peace I'm having. Early in pregnancy is one of the most anxious times, even for people who don't have anxiety. And I have had such peace about it that like our doctor was late getting us our test results a day late and I didn't even notice. She was so apologetic and I was like, oh, I'm just honestly like not even worried everything's progressing and like heaven forbid if it isn't, then one of our embryos is the life that's meant to be like, again, uh, episode next week on how I got to that piece. But my fear is not in that. My fear is that motherhood will be exhausting. So I did the research as to how I can make it less so, and I look for the relationships that model where it's not the predominant emotion. And it's not being naive. It's just saying you can find people who are happy or unhappy in anything you aspire to in in marriage. You can continually look for people that are like so much happier now that they're divorced. If that's what you're wanting to say, I think Maybe I would be happier after this. You can go and find that. If you want to find people that are happier when they stayed in their marriage when it was bad, you can go and find that. Now, some things are going to be circumstantial and some things are going to be mindset. You know, you could be in a marriage that is bad because there's another person in that marriage that creates a circumstance. But you also could be in a marriage that is good or bad largely because of your mindset. And so I work to just be around people, meaning also who I'm following online, who love being married, who work at good marriages. And again, that doesn't mean you can control the circumstance that your partner won't have an affair or won't stop trying in your marriage. It's not cockiness that you can control it or, you know, if you just think right, you're you're always going to be happy in it. But it's also not disempowerment. It's honoring that our mindset is a huge part of our circumstances. And we do get incredible control over this hugely powerful part of our lives. And so for anything in life, we can find people as proof that it won't work and that it will. Now, that doesn't mean that you should do it, but you could do it. And I think that's a much more empowering place to make the decision from if you want to do it. Which brings us to number four, which is envision the pros and cons of the stories you're choosing. I realized that we were always thinking about whether or not to have kids by picturing A, why we'll be happy with kids, and B, why we'll be unhappy with kids. We'll be tired, we'll be exhausted, we don't have time, et cetera. We weren't picturing why we'll be happy without kids or unhappy without kids. We were only entertaining the positives and negatives of one story, of kids. It was one angle with two options. But for each decision, there actually are two angles. You do it or you don't do it. And four options, each angle has a 
pro side and a con side. Oh, we're going to be happy or we're going to be less happy. So a year and a half ago, we were going on vacation in Portugal. And it was one of only two times in our relationship when we weren't going for our wedding first, or we weren't also going to work before we took some time off. We were just 100% the whole time packing for vacation. And I think that I'm not saying it's a requirement, but I do think it was helpful because it meant we could 100% leave work at home, to-dos at home, and we weren't trying to like be productive or accomplish anything. And so it kind of opened up for me, like, what is the purpose then of this trip other than just joy and connection? And I said, let's take this trip to picture our life without kids. And we just made sure throughout that week that it was our intentional conversation. What would life be like if we choose not to have kids? And we asked, why is that not what we picture as much? You know, it's happy with kids or exhausted with kids. Is it because we don't have as many examples of people who are child-free by choice? I only have one set of friends who've been married for a long time and are child-free by choice. So I was like, do we not have enough people in our life? Do we not have enough cultural examples? But I didn't think for me that was it because I feel like seeing one person who's happy for me is enough. I also think as an Enneagram 4, I value uniqueness. I'm just not one to like go along with the crowds. So even seeing one person be like, oh yeah, it's possible to do it that different or unique way. For my personality, that would be enough. Like I think we now know a male person of color can be president. Like it's enough that you can picture it. And that opened up something for a lot of people. I don't think that there's people out there thinking, well, if 10 people become president who are a male person of color, then I will start to think about it for my life. And also these were pretty close friends of mine for a while years ago in New York City when we both lived here. And I thought, why subconsciously wouldn't I have kept going back to their story over the years and thinking, you know, we could be like Jesse and Gerard, like... But I realized I never really thought about it. I just didn't. That's not where my mind went to. And then, and you're just noting all these things. You're just taking it as information as you're investigating what happens in my head and heart. Where do my thoughts go? This is just all adding up to pieces of the puzzle of you trying to figure out what is the best path for your life. And then one night, Jeremy said, and to clarify, This is just our belief. I'm not saying that you have to feel this. I'm just sharing the the different elements that we thought about for us. He said, if we don't have kids, I feel like we need another thing that gives our life meaning that we're pouring into, we're passionate about, we're making a difference, we're leaving a legacy. And for me, I immediately thought, and it's not just work. Like I feel deep meaning in my work but it doesn't feel like enough to be my life's purpose for me. And again, it may for you, this is not a judgment on anyone else. It's just noticing what your gut says to you. And for me, I didn't think I'm just so fulfilled by my work that I feel like if I just had more time to pour into that, that would feel so good to me when I was 95. I just, that was not my gut instinct. And I thought about my aunt and uncle who didn't have kids and they were very devoted to animals. They volunteered at the animal shelter. They walked dogs. I think my uncle ran the animal shelter for a while. My aunt would knit blankets for the crates that go inside. They donated their money to animal causes. They also had a lot of animals. And my aunt loved books. She ran the local, I think she might've even helped start a local used bookstore, which was next to the library in town. And all the proceeds went to the library. I think it was a practically a full-time job when she was retired that she was still running this. And again, my gut just said, no, I just thought I don't have another thing I'm passionate enough about that it's going to feel like what I want to dedicate my life to. If I did, that thought would already have been rolling around. That's actually what I would have been thinking. If I have kids, I'll have less time for this thing. That would already have been factoring into the equation. There's things I care about, but I just, not that felt like 
this is my thing. Nothing that felt like, ooh, doing that instead of kids. I might, my soul is kind of drawn to that. I was like, well, there's things I'm passionate about, but I would just do them alongside having a family. And then I reflected back on my year of boredom, which was a goal in 2021, which honestly only ended up becoming a few months. And then I sold my book and then my publishing saga began. But those few months were pretty glorious. I simplified my life to the point where I would be bored and I wouldn't know what else to do with my time because it was always a daydream of mine that if I had more time, I would, I wonder what it is for you. My house would be better organized. Like I would clean out over there and I would clean out over there and that would be super organized. I would read more nonfiction. Oh my gosh, there's so many books that I would love to read. I would watch more documentaries. I have the longest list of documentaries on my phone. I never watch them. I would be better at texting back friends. You know, the problem is I just don't have time, but then I would be better at texting back. I would take up painting. I feel like I would love to paint. And if I actually had time, then I feel like I could really get into it and I could really learn. But for about four months, I had a lot of free time on the weekends. And I didn't really do any of those things. And truly, this has been my dream daydream for years and years and years, subconsciously, which is move to Bali, a place I've never been to. I have no idea what it's really like, but it's in my mind, it's this like low cost of clean living beach vibe. I would do yoga, journal, write books, be more spiritual. And while I do think there is still something to that, and I haven't shaken off that ideal completely for sure. I also had a few months to see that time is not the reason I'm not doing all the things. Now, I don't have, haven't had time yet to get to the bottom of what that is. Like there is still a lot more exploration and extrapolating for me to do there. And so honestly, I do still want to do this experiment again. I would love the proverbial year in Bali, this time with a kid since, you know, spoiler alert, as you know, we've made that choice, but I still do think there is exploration there. And I know I'm not alone in that daydream that if we had more time and more spaciousness, here's the things that we would do. So I am still very drawn to wanting to research it for the majority who don't have the ability to do that and share my findings so that I can help more of us unlock what is this idealization? What is the reality? How do we get here? How do we let it inform our lives? But what I knew from those four months that I got to be bored was that having more free time was not going to make me feel fulfilled enough in life. Like that's my real objection to motherhood. I want free time, downtime, quiet time, a spacious schedule. Okay, why don't I have that now? My business takes a ton of time. All right, well, what if in a couple of years that's changed and it is spacious and, and my life is like it was in those four months? I mean, are you just going back to being bored now? Because you tried that and you realized it's actually not this glorious life. You actually don't do the things you said you were going to do. And then I thought, one day I'm going to retire and my kids will be out of the house and I'm planning our lives as though we will live to 95. So can't I have 65, 75, 85, 95. Can I have decades of slow in life? Won't I be living in an assisted living facility at some point with so much downtime when I think about the people in my life who are at that age now? And I pictured my future 95-year-old self saying, it is an idealized life, all of this openness that's not all that magical in and of itself. Yes, you want a life of rest and keep making choices to simplify your life. That is beautiful. That is wise. That is stepping away from hustle culture. But don't be so afraid of being tired that you end up with an empty life just because you tried to clear out anything that might make you feel tired. You can have all day open and still be tired because life just doesn't feel that meaningful if it's super 
open and empty. And so I think step number five is getting really existential about what you're afraid of, what you're idealizing, what gives you joy and meaning, and what matters most to you. Because when I really took that time to have a conversation with my 95-year-old self, I felt like, am I just going to try to create more spaciousness throughout my 40s and 50s only to get to 60 and be like, all right, well, that was pretty cushy. And I mean, now we just got nothing but time on our hands. Like, was that really what I wanted to spend my life doing was just not being busy? Does that feel enough? And then number six is how can you do a test run? Now I was making these little notes. At first I wrote, can you do a test run? And then I thought, no, everyone can do this somehow. It should be phrased as how can you do a test run? So if what I'm sharing I did for me what work for you, what will work for you? So while simultaneously being unsure we wanted kids, we weren't sure either where we wanted to live. We are so in love with New York but we also couldn't see ourselves living only here for the rest of our lives. And that felt so confusing to us, both Jeremy and I. How can you be in love with a place and feeling like, are we supposed to go someplace else? Are we supposed to be somewhere else? I'm not really sure. But I think a lot of people have grappled with this. You're in love with the person, but they also don't feel like your person. You aren't unhappy with your job, but you also feel like you're supposed to say yes to this other opportunity. So I think actually many of us have felt that. So in 2019, we did a little weekend test run in Charleston, South Carolina. It was someplace that had been on my radar for a little while. I have no idea where I came up with it, but I just kept exploring. I would look up people on Instagram and I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm wondering. And we went there. We did not stay in a cute downtown hotel. We got an Airbnb on the beach, which was more similar to the kind of house we were picturing we would live in. We're not right downtown to really try to imagine how would it be like to live here, not to visit here for a long weekend. We realized it wasn't as walkable as we thought it might be. And a really big one was in looking up churches, we realized how non-racially diverse they were. I was just looking at these pages of the, the pastoral staff, at, et cetera, at these churches. And I was like, everyone is white. Where is the racial diversity? And it just started to hit me. I've never lived outside of New York City as an adult. I take this for granted and I don't realize how segregated other places still are, even like the, the, the South may still be the South in some ways. Now, I could have done that research in churches, into churches from home, but Taking that weekend to really picture ourselves there, it just hit different. We just had that time set aside. Now, again, you could hit, take that time set aside to say, this is what we're going to do on Saturdays. We're going to take five Saturdays in a row and keep having this conversation. But it was just the next step we hadn't done here. And really trying to picture it there and put all the pieces together, we just came on being like, that doesn't feel like a, a yes. And also, we didn't realize how important racial diversity is to us. Like we knew that we just didn't realize how much we were taking it for granted here. So then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, we were in Mexico at the time everything broke out and we were so heartbroken to leave. It was like a really emotional experience for us, which wasn't just because we were so happy there, we were having to cut our trip short, but it felt like we were leaving this idyllic paradise to come back to a war zone of, you know, empty Walmarts and everybody wearing plastic gloves everywhere. And so it was just a little traumatic leading. And as we, uh, you know, as you may know, headed to Arizona to also avoid um, the chaos of New York City. And we're just like in the middle of nowhere. We have nothing to do. No offense to Arizona, but to us, it felt like the middle of nowhere. And I just kept thinking, if we were so happy in Mexico, what if we moved there? Like so much of the vibe of Mexico was kind of the vibe of Cartagena, which was the vibe of our wedding. And we love color and tropical and beaches and and uh, the the plants and the flowers and the animals and whatever. So one of my pandemic activities for coping became looking at real estate in Mexico. But I thought I don't want to do like I learned with with South Carolina. 
I can idealize something and I don't know until I get there. So I start researching this in April, but after a few months, I'm saying to Jeremy, I think we need to go down there. We need to see if this is a possibility. I don't want to spend two years of my life daydreaming about this, finding out it was a no. So in December, 2020, we went for two months, checked out a few of the cities we thought we could really live in. We did a lot of research ahead of time, looking at proximity to airports, a whole list of things that we wanted, schools, churches, reading expat groups, like really narrowing it down. And it was in the first place that felt like it could be a yes, Bucerias, Mexico, which is outside of Puerto Vallarta, that as we were walking around, it hit me for the first time. I keep being able to picture us having a baby here. And I never picture that in Brooklyn. And I didn't realize that I didn't do that. Similar to how my mind was always thinking, will we be happy with kids or unhappy with kids? And it wasn't until years after this story that I realized I'm never picturing happy or unhappy without kids. I also never realized that I'm never in our elevator, our building, walking down the street, in our neighborhood, seeing people with strollers and kids and thinking, in a couple of years, that's going to be me. We're going to be sitting at that coffee shop. We're going to be living in this building. And now that we were outside in sunshine, I realized that I kept picturing a kid outdoors. Every restaurant we ate at was outdoors. I could picture a kid there. Every bar we went to was outdoors. I could picture being there with a kid. I could picture being on the beach. And I realized maybe God wasn't giving me the vision for kids all these years that I lived in New York City because that wasn't where I was meant to have them, which is why I couldn't picture them there. And because kids were on the table, we also weren't thinking about Europe as to where we might move. Like we weren't wanting to go farther from our families if we had a baby, because again, these two decisions were kind of happening at the same time. We are thinking we would love to live in Europe maybe four years from now, but with the baby and going farther east on the globe just didn't feel right. So we weren't really thinking about that. So when we were then thinking, well, we don't want to go further from family, you kind of subconsciously think, well, it'd be great to go closer to family. So we were only looking on the Western side of Mexico where we'd be closer to my family in California. And so then that led to me starting to picture getting more time with them and picturing getting to see them more often. And it's a closer flight for me to go to them. It's a closer flight for them to come to us. It was months later that we learned enough about real estate in Mexico to realize it was not something we could afford right now the way we wanted to do it. I won't get into the details, but we had one specific call in April where it was like clear the door just slammed shut. We were talking to someone knowledgeable and just realized this is not going to work. This is not our next step. But now we're picturing kids because Mexico has opened that up. We're picturing more sunshine and outdoors. We're picturing being nearer to my family. And so while for nearly 20 years in New York, people have asked me, do you ever want to move home to California? And I have always been an instant and an emphatic, absolutely not zero desire, never entertain it, never in a million years does that feel right to me or am I even thinking about it? I started to picture it. And so two years ago, we started adding on a couple of days each time we would go visit. And we'd rent a car and we would drive and drive and look at every area and neighborhood trying to picture what life would be like here, where we would live. And then last summer, we spent a lot of money on an Airbnb for three weeks in the neighborhood we thought we wanted to be in, in a house that felt like the kind that we would rent to really kind of immersively live that experience for a few weeks. And while we were out there, we toured houses, we met with realtors, we made lists of pros and cons of what we liked in different houses, different neighborhoods, we ranked our priorities. And it was a combo of moving to California and baby test run, because, well, you can't rent a baby. Um, We pictured our life there with, with having a baby. We looked at homes through that lens and our gut kept saying yes, not no. It just, it didn't feel like a no to either the baby or the California. It kept feeling like it was a yes. And finally, number seven, and then I'm going to recap these seven for you. Number seven is trust that if you don't know yet, then it's not time to know. 
Because the number of people who told me things like, there's no perfect time to have a baby, just go for it. And I wanted to punch that person in the nose. Uh, Because yeah, sure, there's no perfect time in life, but there is a right time or a better time. And if it's not on your heart to do it, then I don't care that it was the right time for someone else. It was on their heart. So they did it. And they are glad that they listened to their gut. That doesn't mean it's on your heart yet or it's right in your gut. I would not have been ready to move to California earlier. There are so many small details in here in this story that I could share. But just as one example, we've really had our community change in New York since we got married. We didn't feel called to our church anymore. And uh, a lot of people moved during the pandemic. And a few years ago, Prior to this, a mentor had said to me, who I I really trust their wisdom, said, if God wants you in New York, he's going to give you community because it was, he knew it, this friend knew it was such a desire on uh, my and Jeremy's heart. And if he doesn't, it's because he wants it to be easier for you to walk away because that's not where he has roots for you in this season. And that just struck me personally as so true for us. But we had to go through a few years of feeling like, I don't think our people are here in this season. I don't think we're meant to to pour into new roots here. Like we don't keep picturing a a baby here and we would have to give up our apartment anyways, which is a really big piece of this pie that we knew we can't have a baby in this apartment. So if we say yes to the baby, we are releasing this apartment regardless of if we move into the building next door or something. And we don't have community that's keeping us here either. And so I see how our story has unfolded for us in the right time. And I reject any of those, I'm going to say quote unquote friends, because honestly, I just, I've, I've like even distanced myself from people that I just was like, no, I'm just not like feeling your, your pushiness and your cockiness. Not that they were like my best friends, but you know, you get it. Sometimes you realize in talking to people like, oh yeah, you're just like not my person. So these people that acted like they know the timing for our life because it was the right timing for their life to quote, just go for it with a baby when they did, or for them to move home or for them to not move home or whatever. And I've always wondered where I would go after New York city. And I would have no offense to California vomit cried. If God had told me 10 years ago, that's where I was supposed to go. Like he told me at the time that my heart was open to it because it's the right time. And I feel the same way about a baby, not because logically this makes sense on paper and I can tell you all of the pros and cons, but because in our gut, we feel it. And that's something that no one else can tell you. So somebody asked me on Instagram stories the other day, I was doing a Q&A box and they said, if you could go back and tell yourself, you know, your, your younger self, one thing, tell yourself at 30, tell yourself 10 years ago, whatever. Honestly, because we can't time travel, I don't really like this exercise because it's very offensive to past you to be like, I would just tell her to chill, that she'll meet her husband soon. Well, we can't time travel. We don't, we the person at that time, this, this game doesn't really exist. They couldn't have known when they were going to meet their husband. They couldn't have known, you know, in your case, whether or not it's too late for you to have a baby, whether or not like all those things you, you literally don't know. Somebody cannot tell you a crystal ball about the future. So I don't think it's helpful. I think it's very dismissive to say like, you should have chilled about that thing because it was all going to be okay. But what I would say is The things you're anxious that you don't know yet, you don't know what you want, you don't know your decision, your choice, you don't know whether or not you want kids, you don't know whether where you'll move after New York City. You will know those at the right time. And when you don't know, it's just not the right time yet. And I wouldn't be able to tell her what the answer would be or when the answer is coming, but that she can trust she will know when it is time. And it's just the way some things work, that the reason you don't know what you want yet or what the answer is, is because it isn't yet time to know. Maybe it's not yet time to leave that relationship. Maybe it's not yet time to start that business or walk away from that business. Maybe that's why you don't have peace 
because it's not the time for you to have peace yet. So friend, to recap these seven, and I also want to say, note the time signature on this episode. If you want to take a screenshot of where we are, so you can revisit these with your Elegant Excellence journal, and then write all seven down and journal on them for yourself and save them for future when you are processing through a big decision. Use these seven to have a conversation with your partner, your best friend, someone in your life as you process it. So number one is notice how you react. When people who could push you one way or the other speak up, tune in to whether you're feeling fear when they say this, because you're being encouraged to do something you feel you should, but you're scared, or whether they're trying to close a door that your soul wants open. You want to defend and your gut wants to push back and say, no, I'm not sure that I'm ready to close that door yet. Number two, give yourself the Rachel test or ask, has life ever given it to you? If you take off the table everything you invested in the past in this area, all that sunk cost bias and fears, if you wipe the slate clean of any time, energy, money you've poured in or inner objections you have about why this might not work or might go poorly, what do you want today? Without all of that, What does your gut want? Number three, you also have those objections for a reason. Money is a factor. Time is a factor. So research them. Be wise about how you'll navigate and overcome them. And find examples of people who are proof that this fear doesn't have to be your reality. Number four, envision the pros and cons of the stories you're choosing. There are two angles. You do it or you don't, and four options. Each angle has a pro or con, a happy or less happy option. So notice if you're usually just thinking about it from one angle, i.e., are we going to be happy or unhappy with kids? And take a season where you focus on the other angle, i.e., are we going to be happy or unhappy without kids? Number five Getting existential about what you're afraid of, what gives you joy and meaning, and what matters most to you. If being busy is my greatest fear, am I sure that not being too busy is the number one thing I want in my life to have meaning? If the opposite of that is boredom, is that a meaningful enough life? to have space to be bored? And won't I have that in old age? Is there more joy, experience, meaning, growth I want in life? Do I feel like God is calling me to more than just not being too busy? And that was really the big breakthrough for me in whether or not to have children. Six is how can you do a test run And seven is trust that if you don't know yet, then it's not the time to know yet. And that number five existential one was also the big breakthrough for me in moving as well. This could be a whole other half hour of the episode that I won't get into for time. But in short, I honored all that New York City means to me. And I know not everyone feels this about where they live, but for me, it is my energy, my lifestyle, my soul, my creativity. And then I thought, could I regret not spending three years near my parents when they're in good physical and mental health with a baby who is too little to FaceTime or build a relationship any other way? Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely regret that I kept putting that off. I could definitely regret that I didn't do that. Meanwhile, I can come back to New York, but I can't guarantee I get that time with my parents in five years, 10 years, 15 years. And I got clear about what I was really afraid of losing here, knowing that I can come back. And it was first and foremost, this home. We love our home so much, but it is absolutely not big enough with a baby and both of us working from home. We are 1,000% clear on that, not even for the first three to six months. So really, in saying yes to the baby, we were saying goodbye to this apartment. And because we rent, 
we could be kicked out of this apartment anytime. So I couldn't choose this home over a child when the home could go away next year. And we still feel fearful in living in leaving because honestly, our neighborhood has skyrocketed in price since the pandemic. And we've been so lucky. Our landlord has valued us as easy, responsible tenants because the person before us was a nightmare. And so they do not take us for granted. So we have not been priced out. But I've never loved a neighborhood that I have lived in more. I feel like this exact neighborhood is literally the best neighborhood in the whole entire world. And we live in one of the, you know, 30 best units in the best neighborhood in the whole entire world. And we fear that if we come back in five or six years, it will be out of reach for us financially. But I am working, and we will talk more about peace in next week's episode. I am working on focusing on the truth that every neighborhood I've lived in, I've loved more than the last. So why can't there be somewhere we love even more? It's definitely scarce thinking, and I want to break through that, but if I'm honest, it's there. And yet these decisions have been such an invitation to have that breakthrough on it and to believe it gets better and that I don't have to be fearful of moving forward and saying yes and change and expanding and believing that it gets better. So we will talk next week about how I've been finding such wild peace in the surrogacy pregnancy story that I have been desperate to get clear on for myself because I want that same peace in being a mother in moving, in my career, in all the things. And I haven't had it in these areas over the years. I haven't had that piece of, ah, whatever we decide on kids, it'll be fine. Wherever we live, it's going to be great. I would love to tell you that I have, but I haven't. And so if you too have wrestled with not having that peace and wanting to have that inner confidence, I hope and pray that walking through these seven steps unlock something for you. This was a years-long journey for us, and I would love to hear from you, even if it's literally two years from now. I've been walking through these seven, and this is the peace and the breakthrough that it led to for me. I think this is such a universal challenge that we can all relate to at some time. Everyone, you may have been, whether or not it's time for you to retire. It may have been whether or not you should go to college, whether you should go away to college. I think when we are 18 or 78, this can still be something that we are wrestling with. And that by being reminded of that, it gives us so much more grace for one another. And hopefully, as you are able to articulate how you came to these decisions, as I have here, you then are able to give that wisdom to others and help them in really making the right choices for them in the long run as well. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is this color stick that I got for covering my gray hairs. Y'all, hair, it's something I got to figure out. I'm just at the point where I feel like, I've said this before in the podcast, I just feel like I realized in the last few months, in the last year, I just spend way too much money and time on my hair for for what it feels worth it. And yet I don't not care about it. So I just feel like I got to figure out something that is better. If anyone has a, um, at home hair coloring kit that they love, like, please DM me and let me know. I really want to be able to like touch up my own roots in between, et cetera. But I'm just so nervous to do it. I'm so nervous that I'm going to mess it up. I'm like, is there someone out there who does a service? I would pay a hairstylist who specifically does consultations in telling you what sort of formula to use or whatever to be able to do it on your own because oh the the time and the money is just like getting to me but i also when i when i chickened out on coloring my own roots because i was just worried that i was going to mess it up then i was like what about isn't there some other like touch up thing that i can do i just had some time where I did not have time to go to the salon, but I had a shoot coming up or something. I tried one thing, this was months ago, and it was so like, it made my hair feel really dirty. It just felt very tacky, like not as in like, not chic, but like literally tacky to the touch. And um, I was like, oh, this is just not what the way that I want my roots to feel. So recently I ordered three more 
was like, let me just try again. I don't want to accept that my only option is to have to go back to the salon so soon in between. And this one I love. I will put the link in the description. Um, and it just, it also feels like it works enough because I have dark brown hair. My natural hair is a medium brown. So it's not just the grays, but I also, I also have lighter roots when it grows out. So I feel like by putting this dark brown on, it just kind of blurs that a little bit. It does cover some of the grays. It does cover some of the, of the um, line and it just doesn't feel so obvious then every once in a while you just like you look at yourself on camera you take a picture you're like oh my gosh there's a distinctive line there this is serious and one of my close friends also has dark brown hair we were always talking about this so like the day after I found this I texted her and was like I've got to tell you I finally found this and I am loving it also something I am loving lately is the piece I had this weekend when my surrogate called and said she was having some spotting and was headed to the hospital. And I talked about this a little bit on my pinned stories. You can go listen um, over there. I will explain more in next week's episode. But because I still need some more time to like process it. But days later, I am still rocked that as someone who has had anxiety my whole life and just did a whole episode about these things that have weighed on me for years, I was 25 and single and dating, living in New York City and stressed about these answers that I finally have an answer to, whether or not to have kids and where I'm moving next. I can't believe that that same person is so calm about embryo transfer, finding out if you're pregnant early on in pregnancy, that I feel like a different person in my skin. And I want that in other areas of my life. So I am excavating for myself how did I get here to share it not only with you, but honestly with myself and with Jeremy. And that is what we are going to talk about next week. So if this episode blessed or helped you in any way, will you please share it, share it on your Instagram stories in a Facebook group you're in, in a WhatsApp group, in a mom's group, text it to your friends. And would you please take just a moment to leave a review? It means the absolute world to me whenever someone takes a moment to tap the stars and write something briefly about the fact that this helped you. I just cannot tell you how meaningful that is. So thank you in advance and I will see you right back here next Wednesday and over on Instagram in the meantime with grace and gumption. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday.